Good morning. No, and I'll have a wedding or a funeral this afternoon. So here's the deal. It, here, here's the deal. Cause I've had more people be fascinated with how I'm dressed this morning. <laughs> I wondered who your pastor is, right? What in the world happened? I've actually had these clothes for a year. I've worn them. I've just never put the shirt in. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I put a shirt in unless I'm wearing a suit. Here's the deal. I have lost a couple pounds. I have lost a couple pounds. So... Appreciate you. And so uh, I have. And so the shirts, I'm still a, a, a bigger boy. And so extra large shirts come down to about my knees now. And so I don't know how that is. I guess I had a belly. I don't know exactly, but that's the story. And so Karen bought me some shirts that are shorter. <laughs> They're all dirty. <laughs> you can't make this up. And so this morning, it was either wear a big shirt and tuck it in or wear a dirty shirt. Because I love you so much, I thought I'd wear a clean shirt. <laughs> that's, the, that's it. That's, that's it. That's all I got. You know, my dream for you, my dream for you um, is, is that you will be more than just an attender on a Sunday morning. My dream for you is, is that you will go beyond just taking up a seat and being part of a big church. And, uh, and, and sometimes you know, when you're young, especially when you're in the ministry, you know, you just want warm hineys in seats every Sunday, you know. And, and you want to know that you're growing. And I, I want us to grow. I'm, I'm never going to be happy until we're reaching every single unchurched, lost person that we possibly can. Uh, for those that are the furthest away from Jesus, I want to do everything we can to reach them and to fill these seats with those people. But if you're here... My dream is not that you'll just be a part of a big church. My dream is that you'll, you'll connect. You'll connect and do life with people, and you'll do life at the deepest level possible. And one of the ways that we do that here is actually two ways. Only two ways you can get connected at Springwell. We make it really simple because we're not that smart. And so we just dumbed it down to make it really simple. And you can serve, and that's not the perfect way for you to get at the deepest level possible, but at least when you're serving on a Sunday morning, Wherever on this campus you may be, you get to build some relationships, and that's, that's critically important for me. And believe me, we really view that more so than you might think through that lens. Um, we're sneaky. I just want to get you connected. I want you to get you building relationships and start doing life with people. And then growth groups. That's, you know, that's the other way that you get uh, involved here is, is through growth groups. And, and growth groups, you know, growth groups perfect? Of course not. Uh, nobody's perfect because we're full of imperfect people like you, and so we can't have a perfect church, and so there's, growth groups are not going to be perfect, but, but our goal is, is that we'll get a group of imperfect people together, and you'll start to open up and do life, at the, again, at the deepest level, that you can share your hurts and your pains, and, and you can share your sin and your struggles, and you can just love each other and, grow, and help each other grow. Now, your first connection to a growth group is probably not going to be that, your, your first attraction to a growth group will be the Bible study that we're, that we're doing. And so you may look at one particular growth group and you might think, man, that Bible study is really awesome. And then you may get in that Bible study and look around and, and all the people in it just be weird. <laughs> Maybe you're the weird one and everybody else is normal. I don't know, whichever the case might be. And so maybe, maybe the first growth group that you get in, maybe you don't connect, connect at the deepest level, but you're in the Word 
And guess what? If, if you're going to be in a growth group here, you're going to have a mission project. If you're not a mission project, you know, then you're not a growth group here. I just, you know, I don't beat around the bush about that. I say, no, absolutely. We're going to do more than just study the Bible. We're going to learn how to apply it, which means that we're going to be in this community doing everything we can to meet the needs of people. And so we're going to be, a, if you're in a growth group, you're part of a mission project. And so if you don't connect with that particular growth group, my prayer is that you'll, you'll find another one. Because it's biblical. It's just exactly, I love to read the book of Acts because that's just what you see in the book of Acts. People meeting from house to house, hanging out together, doing life together. And so we're going to start sign-ups uh, next month. August we'll start sign-ups for growth groups, and I hope that you'll uh, want to, you know, just jump in. Some of you aren't ready. I get that. You think, I don't know about the growth group thing. Ooh. I don't want to get to know anybody. You know, I'm just, I just want to kind of hang out on a Sunday morning. It's okay. We're going to love you anyway. But for those of you that are looking for something deeper, something richer, something sweeter, um, some people that will challenge you in your walk with the Lord, then hopefully not next month you'll, uh, you'll sign up and then we'll start those growth groups in September. Now, one of the things that we always need, we always need growth group leaders. Now, we're, I'm not supposed to use the word leader. We used to use the word leader, but everybody, then people say, oh, I'm not a leader. They go, we had anybody better, you think we'd ask you? <laughs> That's kind of funny, but it's, it's kind of sad, isn't it? So, you know, people say, I'm not a leader, I'm not a leader, I'm not a leader. Can you influence people? If you can influence people, then chances are you're a leader. Now, there's a list of things that I have when I look at people to whether or not they're a leader at Springwell. You know, can you reproduce yourself? Leaders are not leaders unless they're reproducing themselves. Leaders aren't leaders unless they're getting things done. And then here, it's critically important that leaders aren't leaders unless they're leading from a heart of love. And that's critically important. And so we changed the name because everybody freaked out over the word leader, and I'm not a leader, and I'm scared of being a leader, to facilitator. Do so you feel better? You want to, would you like to be a growth group facilitator? Uh, I don't care what you call it, uh, but some of you have that gift, you have that ability. Now, I love leading a growth group. I lead a growth group, and I love leading a growth group. But let me just tell you something. I, I think that when leaders lead, I think that what they do is then they involve everybody in the group. So you know, when we get together, I said, boy, I'm not planning every social event. I'm, I'm not even going to teach every time that we're together. I'm not going to be the great mind here. And so we'll just, we'll get together, and, 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 you know, you'll take this job, and you'll take that job, and you'll do this over here, and we do it together. So if you, as a leader, are thinking you'll be all alone, then you don't understand leadership. <clears throat> and that's not our heart. That's not our goal. Our goal for growth groups is that we learn that we can be weak and admit that we're not gifted with every gift that there is, and so we learn how to do life together. And so we just, we just need some leaders, facilitators. You call it whatever you want to. But if you're interested in maybe hosting uh, someone in your home, and we don't meet in our home every single time. You know, we got to spread the love. And so I've heard people literally say, well, I would, but our house, our house is just not conducive for a larger group. Um, stop making excuses. And, uh, and, and just trust the Lord. Let God work in your life. Can you do that? I ain't going anywhere until somebody says. Thank you. We're in this uh, message series called Mastermind, and, and we've been looking at the beautifully mastered uh, mind of the Apostle Paul. So what have we learned about the mind? I'll tell you what I've learned. i learned over the last few, uh, last few years that my head can be a scary place to be. Hello? Anybody else? Any of you ever struggle with those crazy thoughts? I mean, crazy thoughts. We talked about it last week that we've been created with these neural pathways, you know, and so you can be in a certain situation, and immediately your mind goes negative. It's the way you've always been. It's the way you've always thought. And so you hear those messages inside your head that says, you can't, you never will, 
you never have, you never will, you're a loser, whatever those negative pathways are in your brain, our tendency is to go down that path. And we've learned that our thoughts are incredibly powerful because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And that's true. If you, if, you're, if you keep your mind in the gutter, that's what's going to come out of your life. Trash in, trash out. So today I want us to talk about how to reframe what we see. Because the wrong mental framework can distort how we see the world. For example, there was a, certainly there have been seasons, not just a season, but there have been seasons in my life when I have literally believed that everything that I saw was dead. It was lifeless. In fact, I would have those discussions with the Lord. I would say, God, you know, I look around my life, it seems like everything that I touch falls apart. Every plan that I've had is, has, has fell apart. I mean, all, all of my plans, my relationships, it looks like my relationships are they're all falling apart. So there's been times in my life, quite honestly, when everything that I've seen has looked like it was dead. There have been other times in my life when I have looked at those seasons and I thought, you know what, I mean, it's cloudy. There's no doubt in my mind that it's cloudy. But it looks like that somewhere behind those clouds there might possibly be some sunshine. I, I literally remember standing when I was in seminary, the little church that I pastored, I remember there was a, a particular season that I went through, and I stood in this office of this 150-year-old church, and I looked out my window, and it was raining that day, and I questioned, God, will, it, will the sun ever shine again? It looks like that all I see right now are clouds and rain. And then there's been other times in my life when maybe I've gotten to the Word, maybe I've been encouraged by friends, and I thought, you know what? I think I see some ray rays of hope. There have been some rays of, of sunshine. Maybe I don't see the sun right now. Maybe it's not at its brightest, but at least I see some rays of hope. Have you ever noticed how two people can go through the very same situation, the same environment, but can see it and respond to it totally different? Have you ever noticed that? It's not the facts that are different. It's the mental framework. It's how you Look at the situation that defines what you see. Two people can sit down with the very same boss. Two people can sit down with the very same boss, get the very same feedback. <clears throat> One person can be offended and maybe look at their boss and go, who do you think you are? Feedback, I'll give you some feedback. Let me tell you something, big boy. You don't ever work out. You're not out here with the common man. You're just up there in, in your ivory tower, in your big office. You don't know what the little man does down here. Who in the world are you to give me feedback? You don't know what it takes to make this place run. Anybody feeling a little bit, right? Maybe another person gets the exact same feedback, the exact same way, and that person responds entirely different. They go, wow. You know what? I knew that I was struggling here. I knew that there were some issues here. I knew that there were some problems, but I really just didn't know what they were. Wow, thank you so much because of the information that you've given me today. I will be better because of it. Thanks. 
It's not the facts that are different. It's the framework. Studies show that your relationship to your earthly father can frame how you see your heavenly father. So, for example, those of you that were blessed with a good dad, full of compassion, full of mercy and grace, full of of, of involvement in your life. I mean, if every game that you went to that you had, you know, softball, soccer, whatever it might be, if it was a, a school recital thing, for those of you that have fathers that were involved in your life, that was full of compassion, that every time that you made a mistake, they guided you through that mistake, they pointed out the mistake, but they helped you to see things differently. For those of you that have had a father like that, chances are really good that that's the way that you see your heavenly father. For those of you who had a father that was maybe really distant or cruel or demanding or judgmental or legalistic, maybe for you, no matter what you did, it was never good enough for your father. Maybe, maybe you were making B's and C's in school, and finally you were making A's and B's, and he wanted to know why it wasn't all A's. And then finally it was all A's, but you had that 95 average, and you were, you were just right on the edge of that A. And he looked at you and said, why can't it be 96 or 97? There are those of you that were raised with a certain type of, of earthly father, and it has skewed your vision of your heavenly father. So you have a hard time seeing a heavenly father that's crazy about you and loves you and wants to be involved in your life. It's all about the framework. So today I want to talk to you about reframing. And reframing, I really thought about this. I probably should have fancied this up a little bit. It's a really simple, simple definition. But here it is. Reframing is simply creating a different way of looking at things. It's just creating a different way of, of looking at things. It's like the little fellow who loved playing baseball. He absolutely loved playing baseball. And he had a super positive mental attitude. And he said, you know what? I'm the greatest hitter that's ever lived. He went out in the backyard. He took a ball in the bat. And he picked the ball up. He threw it up in the air. He swung as hard as he could, and he missed. He said, no big deal. Everybody misses at least once. I'm still the greatest hitter who ever lived. So he took that same ball, he threw it up in the air again, he swung a second time, and he missed a second time. He said, no big deal, everybody misses a couple times. I am still the greatest batter who ever lived. So he picked up the ball. The third time, he threw it up into the air, he swung as hard as he could, and he missed the third time. And he said, wow, I had no idea. I'm also the greatest pitcher who ever lived, because I just struck out the greatest batter who ever lived. That's good right there. Write that down. You don't tell somebody that one. Reframing. And if there was ever anybody who was great at reframing, it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you know his history, then you'll know that what Paul was, his terms in fancy terms, I guess, was being a church planner. And so he at one time had been bitterly opposed to the whole Jesus movement. In fact, he made fun of them, and he did everything he could to stamp it out. In fact, he literally saw people stoned to death with his order given. But this man was radically changed. He actually experienced the resurrected Jesus. And so now he's no longer an opponent of the gospel, but he is, he, he is, he is someone who with such passion is willing to die for the very thing that he thought was a lie. So Paul, one of his dreams was to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome because he thought if I could go to Rome and if I could have any influence in Rome, then we, can win, then we can win the world. And 
got to understand a little bit about Rome in that time was it was the intellectual hub. It was the commercial hub. It was where all the who's who in the world lived. Everything flowed into and out of Rome. And so Paul said, I just want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome as a preacher. I want to come into Rome, maybe set up a tent. I don't know how they did it back in the day. You know, maybe we'll stand there on a preach corner, uh, on, a, on a street corner, and I just want to be a preacher of the gospel. And if I can influence and win people in Rome to the Lord, then surely we can win the world. Again, for those of you that know his story, he, didn't, he did get to go to Rome, but he didn't go to Rome as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. In fact, this wasn't like some of us have had just an overnight stay. This was a prison term for at least two years. He was locked up and he was literally chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Every eight hours, there was a changing of the guard. So he didn't get exactly what he wanted. He wanted to go as a preacher, but what he went as was a prisoner. And that's exactly where some of you are. This morning, you thought to yourself, if I just get that degree, and so maybe you dreamed of that ideal job for you, and you thought the only way that I get that job is if I get the degree first, and so, and so you went to school, you didn't just go to any school, you went to the right school, so you went to the right school, you got the degree, but you got out and you couldn't find the job. And so what you did for was you settled for another job that you're way too overqualified for, and you're way underpaid, and maybe at this stage of your life, you just thought that by now you'd be in a different place. And you're thinking, wow, God, I mean, like, what's up with this? Maybe you're wondering where he is. Maybe you thought, I'm going to marry the man or the woman of my dreams. And maybe your dream turned into a nightmare. And so maybe for you, you know, you've been struggling with this whole idea of being married and you are pretty sure that you married the wrong person. In fact, you've had these conversations with God like, God, why in the world did you let me make such a stupid decision? You're just a different place than you thought that you'd be, and that's where Paul was. He prayed for one thing, but he got another. He said, I want to be a preacher of the gospel, but now he's a prisoner of the gospel instead. You can't determine what happens to you. Hello, anybody in the house? I'm talking about followers of Jesus, people that love Jesus. Right now, could you just raise your hand and say, you know what, i got to be honest. There's been things that have happened in my life that I never really planned for. In fact, I got a little ill about. I've been questioning God about because I wonder how can someone, a good Christian like me, end up in the situation that I'm in. You can't control the situation that you're in. You can't control what happens to you. But you can determine how you frame it. So here's how Paul framed his situation. Remember, he's in a Roman prison. He's in a Roman prison chained to a guard 24-7. Every eight hours, there's a new guard that gets chained to him. Here's how he responds. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, <coughs> that the things which happened to me, in other words, these things that seem totally unfair, this was not my plan. I mean, I wanted to go to Rome. I wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. And these things that have happened to me, notice what he says, these things that have happened to me have actually turned out, I love this, I love this. This stopped me dead in my tracks actually last week. <clears throat> the things that have happened to me have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So it occurred to me, wow, wait a minute, you have to have a clear goal, right? 
And so in other words, Paul's goal wasn't to pastor the biggest church in Rome. That, that wasn't his goal. He wasn't, his goal wasn't to pastor a mega church and so that he had built a name for himself and that everybody would want to know Paul. And then he could hide behind the fact, I'm just trying to reach people with the gospel. When in effect, you really don't care about people. You care more about what you want, about your success, about your resume looking good. He actually did get what he wanted. Because that wasn't his goal. Paul said, my life was radically changed. I was knocked off my horse. And I heard the voice of Jesus himself, and he spoke to me. And that so radically changed his life that he said, I want to spend the rest of my life telling as many people as I possibly can. That was his goal. So I guess I have to ask you, do you have a clear goal? Is your goal clear? Is it a godly goal? Then he said, so that it has become evident to the whole palace gardens, all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So Paul's just saying, actually, this is crazy, but things have actually turned out better than I thought. I mean, it looks like I'm their prisoner, but let's just be honest. I am chained 24-7 to some of the most influential leaders in the Roman army. Am I chained to them or are they chained to me? We, we, I mean, which, who's the prisoner here? So can you imagine the Apostle Paul as he has this grin on his face? The first time that somebody is chained to him, oh, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> I wonder how many times he said, have you heard about Jesus? Hey, get over here. You know, I, mean, I don't know how he did that. And he got a new one every eight hours. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Then he says this. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So for leaders, leaders are all about influence. Leaders, true leaders are always looking to reproduce themselves. It's not what they do, but they think, if I could have ten of me doing what I do, it's so much better. So here's what Paul said. You know what? Not only have I, do I have an opportunity to influence and to share the gospel with some of the most influential leaders in Rome, but also the people that are out there, that are brothers and sisters in Christ, that are scared to death to share their faith, now they see what's happening to me, and rather than to be fearful, now they're, they're, they're full of energy. And they look at my confidence in God, and they're becoming confident. So now the gospel's beginning to spread. It's crazy. Paul said, you know what, the thing that I thought, was not going to work out, has actually worked out better than I could have ever dreamed in a million years. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So how do we live this out in the real world when our thoughts can drift toward the negative and the critical? So what I want to do is I want to give you three things, three principles that you can live by that I think will help you to turn your difficult situations into something that you can see as being more beautiful, that Something that you thought was dead, in fact, is full of life. It's just the season of the year. That's all it is. And, and those rays of, of, of hope, those rays of sunshine are real. The sun will shine again. So let me share with you three principles. Here's the first one. You ready? This is good stuff. I'm so excited. 
You're only going to get this here. Thank God for what didn't happen. Write that down. You're going, huh? Sometimes you just need to thank God for what didn't happen. Uh, there's a story about a college girl who told her parents, she came home one weekend and she said, we need to have a really, really serious conversation. She said, i got to be honest with you, I went out to a bar, I got drunk, went home with a guy, and now I'm pregnant with twins. She said, the good news is he'll be off probation in a year. <laughs> and once he's out of rehab, he plans to get a job. And then we'll get married and we'll raise the babies together. Well, you can imagine, like some of you are looking at me right now. Mom and dad's jaw drops to the floor. They can't believe what they just heard. And she said, nah, that's not the truth. Truth is, I got a D in chemistry. I just wanted you to know it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> I love that story. A couple of months ago, I was on my way to the doctor. Uh, many of you know I had, uh, had some surgery, some shoulder surgery this year. And, and so it was coming toward the end. I was pretty sure that day he was going to release me. And I decided it was better to ask, uh, you know, for forgiveness and permission. So I decided to ride my motorcycle. And I was pretty sure that he was going to say I could, but just in case, I rode it anyway. And so I just put some new mini apes on, on, my, on my Harley. And so I'm kind of jacked up. I'm feeling good. Okay, I, I'm, I'm a little... <laughs> I'm a little weary, but I'm doing pretty good. I mean, it's a beautiful day, absolutely gorgeous. And I'm riding down Hudson Road. I'm heading over toward Pelham. And, um, and all of a sudden, I, I hear this, this car horn blowing. Now, when you're on a motorcycle, when you hear that, what sounds like right in your ear, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit unsettling. And so I looked in my rearview mirror, and sure enough, I saw this minivan, which I thought, a minivan's blowing her horn at a biker? They don't know nothing. You know, so anyway, I, what, what is this situation? And so I, now they're flashing their lights, and I look inside, and they're just waving their hands frantically. And I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? So I pulled over, the light was red, and I stopped. I'm still looking in my rearview mirror. When I look, and this woman on the passenger side, she gets out, and she's cradling something in her arms. And I looked, and it was my saddlebag off of my motorcycle. I looked down. I mean, I saw it in her arms. I looked down, and I thought, well, sure enough, you know, it, it fell off. Uh, loud pipes save lives, and so people see you coming, but you don't are able to hear things on the motorcycle sometimes. And so anyway, so she come up, and she said, look, you were like you were just enjoying the day, having the day of your life. I said, I was, I was. She said, you went around a curve, and, and your saddlebag fell off. And so it fell off. It was tumbling down the road, and so my husband and I saw that, and so we stopped, got the saddlebag, and then our hope was to be able to track you down. And she said, you know, I didn't, couldn't believe it. I figured that you would be way gone by now, but the red light, you weren't going that fast. Sounds like you're going fast, but you're not really going that fast. And she said, so we just want to make sure that we got the saddlebag to you. I said, wow, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say to her at that point. I'm just saying, I can't believe this happened. Would somebody be that kind? Why would somebody go through all of that trouble, all those things that were going through my mind? And then if you know me, really, really well, you know that messed me up. I looked down at my saddlebag. It was all in one piece. I can't believe that. It didn't break apart. There weren't pieces scattered all over the road. But it was all scratched up. Oh. And so, I mean, immediately, I'm just, uh, I got all these thoughts going through my head. I put the saddlebag back on, made sure that the pins were, were locked into place, and I made my way to the doctor's office. I got in the doctor's office, and again, I'm just thinking, I can't even see the doctor. I'm so upset. I mean, my, my saddlebag scratched up. What in the world am I going to do? 
And so I'm sitting there thinking, I hope they don't check my, you know, I hope they don't check my blood pressure. It's out the wazoo right now. And you know what? Suddenly the thought hit me. I went, wait a minute. I decided that what I would do would be reframe things. I thought, what's the chances of somebody doing what this lady did? What's the chance that it would be the inside saddlebag and not the outside saddlebag? If it had been the outside saddlebag, that saddlebag would have probably fallen into oncoming traffic. Maybe a car, maybe a truck would have run over it and destroyed it, and now I would be looking at buying a new saddlebag instead of trying to fix the old one that cost me about $100. Y'all with me? Just depends on how you frame it. You got to be thankful sometimes for what didn't happen. Second thing that you got to do is this you got to choose the frame before the event. This is huge. Because I'm just telling you what I've learned. That's what I'm doing. I'm walking you through my life over the last few years. So I tell you this a lot. I even read the same scripture to you a lot. But this is my frame. Every morning I start my day with some scripture. Romans 11 is one of those passages. Oh, the depth of the riches of your wisdom and knowledge, God. How unsearchable are your judgments and your ways beyond tracing out. Who's known your mind, Lord? Who's ever known your mind? Who's ever been your counselor? Who has ever given to you that you should repay us? Like, really? I know people talk, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tithe, so God owes me. Really? Are you drunk? What is, what is that about? You don't know anything about the Bible whatsoever. God doesn't owe us anything. For it is from you and through you and for you, God, that all things are. To you be the glory forever. Amen. Then I go to Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host and calls each one by name? This morning, this morning when me and Maggie out there in the front yard, it was cloudy. But I looked up and I saw the moon and I thought, that's awesome. But what I know is because every day I look up there on, cloud, on days that it's not cloudy, I know that the sky is filled with stars. And I know he knows each one by name. And it's because of his great power and mighty strength that not one of them is missing. That's my frame. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That's my frame. So I see it through that filter. The very same awesome, large, and in-charge God is with me. He loves me. He's crazy about me. He, I am forgiven, and I am empowered, and I am totally forgiven. Tetelestai, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's all finished. I died one time. For, for your sin, one time for the sin of the world, for all sin, for all time. You are forgiven. Rest in me. I'm at work in your life. I'm guiding things that you don't know anything about. I'm allowing things like a saddlebag to fall off of a motorcycle so that you can look back. And rather than to see it as a dead spot, to see it as life, that I had somebody there to pick it up for you. I'm just saying. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Third thing. I've lived life long enough. I know you have to do this. You've got to look for God's goodness. You have to look for God's goodness. Honestly, if you want to see the bad, you'll find the bad. If you want to see the negative, you'll find things to be negative about. If you want to be critical, you can pick apart any organization on any given day. You can pick apart any group. You can pick apart any person. And if you are looking for the negative, I promise you, you can find it. Springwell, we're an easy target. 
I mean, just listen to me preach on a Sunday morning. I tell you more about me than most pastors should. <laughs> Won't you agree? I mean, I'd, I'd give you all my junk, right? And so you could leave on any given Sunday and say, boy, if I was a pastor, I just don't think I'd say something like that. Sometimes it's say that. You know, I don't think I would say that as a pastor on a Sunday morning. I don't know if that's appropriate. I've been told that. I literally had a lady to come to me one time. She said, I don't think that, I, I used to say man a lot, she said. She said, I don't think that's proper pulpit etiquette. Pretty much what I said. Didn't really, I'm not at that church anymore. So You have to look for the goodness of God. People can be an easy target because people are not perfect. They're just like you. Or you can look and choose to see where God's at work. You can choose to look for the good or you can choose to look for the bad. It all depends on how you frame it. It's the difference between, I love this illustration. I'm so proud of myself. It's the difference between vultures and hummingbirds. So what do vultures look for? They look for dead stuff. It's hard to believe, isn't it? These big, beautiful, magnificent birds. I'm kind of dressing that up a little bit. But, you know, I mean, it's a big, awesome bird, and it's soaring in the sky. And what is that? That bird passes over a lot of good things because what they're looking for is something that's dead. And, and, and it seems like that it's not just something that's dead, but something that's been dead for maybe two or three days and got a wang to it. I mean, it just looks like there's got to be some stink involved in that roadkill in order for that vulture to be attracted to it. That's what, that'll mess you up right there, won't it? Right before lunch. I'm trying to help you diet out. Why do vultures do that? Because that's what vultures do. What hummingbirds look for. They look for sweet nectar. They'll pass over all the dead stuff to find the sweet nectar. Why? Because that's what they're looking for. And I've learned in my life, you'll find what you're looking for. Look for the goodness of God, and you'll see the goodness of God. Look for problems and things to complain about, and guess what? You'll find plenty of things to complain about. Look around at people and nitpick every person about their job, about their looks, about their attitude, about whatever it is you want to find fault with, and you can find fault because guess what? We live in a world of imperfect people just like you. So here's my favorite question of the day. I've been waiting for weeks to say this. So, are you a vulture or are you a hummingbird? That'll preach right there. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I've got to be honest. I tend to look for the negative. And maybe, listen, some of that's not even your fault. Maybe you were like me. You were raised as a child to look for the negative, to always believe the world was out to get you, to see a booger behind every bush, to see no man is a friend but an enemy. Somebody just looking to draw you close only so they could stab you in the back. And some of you have been raised to think that way. But if you would just be honest, and that's what I love about this church is because we can be gut level honest. Some of you this morning, as you've listened to this message, you've thought, man, I, listen, I'm that guy. I, I frame everything in life from this perspective. But if you would say, you know what, I want to change. I want to learn how to reprogram my brain. I want to look for the good. I want to be able to thank God for what didn't happen. 
I want to have a, a pre-frame already in place to say, God is a good God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he's involved in my life, and he loves me, and I can count on him. I can trust him. If that's you, I know the popular thing to do would be every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's don't do that. I want to just be honest, because my hand's up. If that's you and you say, I've got to look, I've got to learn how to reprogram the way I think. Yeah, go ahead, get them up. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. It's one of the things I love about this church, because we can be honest with each other. See, that's why my goal is for you to get into a group so that you can do life with each other and say, let's help each other. We don't want to stay this way. We want to change. We want our minds to be molded into the mind of Christ. We can't do that alone. There's some of you that are here this morning, and you've really tried to interpret God through the framework of, of your circumstances. That's what you've been doing, and really... The circumstance is bad, therefore God is bad, right? So you've looked at your, your whole life, you just wanted God to show up and work a miracle, and God didn't show up and work a miracle, and so that's how you frame God. Why don't you try this frame? New frame. God becomes flesh in the person of His Son, Jesus. He's sinless. He's perfect in every way. He reaches out to the lowest of the low, uh, to the most broken, the most hurting, the most sinful. Jesus is upfront and personal with people that nobody else would dare be around, not the religious people. Jesus went to where those people were, and it made the church people angry. That's what he did. He loved them where they were. He came on the scene, and he heals sicknesses and diseases. And then he's betrayed by his own. He's cursed, and he's crushed, and he dies the most brutal death. Is that good or bad? It depends on how you frame it. Three days later, the stone is rolled away. He's not there. Is that good or bad? It depends on how you frame it. If you believe that somebody came in during the night and rolled the stone away and stole the body, that would be bad. But if you believe in the power of the resurrection, then that, is the most incredible thing in history, the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. Try to see God through a new frame. And for some of you this morning, you have. You've been able to see something you've never been able to see before, feel something you've never felt before. Go, wow. A God who... loved you so much that he became one of you and died to pay a penalty. A penalty for the sin that you committed, not him. Why? So that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It's a crazy story. How do you see God? It just depends on your frame. So maybe for some of you this morning, you went, wow, I, you know, God's shown up. You're right. I've, I've been looking through the wrong frame. I need to look through the frame of truth and see the power of it. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, every head's bowed and every eye's closed. 
you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just say, God, wow, I didn't know. I just didn't know you're awesome. I thought you were against me. I had no idea that you were for me. I didn't even think you liked me, much, much less that you would love me. But I was looking through the wrong frame. And you've proven your love. And I can see that now. And so I'm just asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior. And I want to follow you from this day forward. I want you to help me change the way I see things. How I frame things. The rest of my life will be an adventure with you. I love you. Father, uh, you've been so good to me, Lord. It has been, Lord, all the pain and the hurt in my life that has allowed me to see you in a different light, Lord. I had to change my mental framework. You're for me, not against me. You love me. You can love me. You can be proud of me because of what Jesus did on the cross. The blood of Jesus. The power from the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Wow, it's amazing that it makes a relationship with you possible. And Lord, thank you that you've never given up on me, even when I've given up on myself, that you've continued to be patient and kind and tender. And you faithfully love me. Help us as a church to get it right, Lord. It's important. It's a big deal. Lord, that our goal is to reach every person that we can with this incredible news of your love, your power. Your mercy, your grace, your goodness, your patience with us. That should be our goal. What happens after that, Lord, is completely and totally up to you. We just thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. It's in your sweet name we pray. Amen. What a good day, huh? I was just sitting over there. Just thinking, um, as I heard Pastor Scott, first off, that I love him, but second off, that I love y'all, and I love this place, and uh, I think we take it for granted, so um, especially if you are um, been here a while, 